from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to Round Trip Death, everybody. And welcome to our special guest today, Carlos Vivas. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Eric. I'm glad to be here with all of you in your program. So let's do it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. I, I'd like our listeners to be able to get to know you just a little bit. Tell us something about you. Okay, well, um, my name is Carlos Vivas. I'm from Caracas, Venezuela. I moved to the States more than 25 years ago. I, I was raised in a Catholic family. My mom was an interior designer. My dad used to work with a petroleum company. And uh, we have a really nice life back home. Then when my mother died, that's when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Since then, I've just been working and just... After this experience, my spiritual life has started, you know, to grow. And I don't know, it's been, it's been an amazing life, beautiful life. That is awesome. And I know that you do a lot of good out there right now. And we'll get into some of that later on, too. But just uh, I just wanted to give sort of a brief tease to what people are going to hear today with your story. I think this is the feel-good story of the week. Yeah. <laughs> people are going to love this. We often hear stories of, of kind of horrible, terrifying deaths and, you know, months and months of recovery, painful and all kinds of things like that. Yours is absolutely beautiful. Some people are going to have a hard time believing it because it's so beautiful. We'll talk about that when we get there. Anyway, with no further ado, let's jump right in. Your near-death experience was in 2015. But you had had an experience with a miraculous recovery earlier in life. What Would you mind telling us about that first? Sure. Uh, so when I was 14 years old, I was diagnosed with a terminal cancer, was leukemia. We visited more than 10 doctors, and nobody will tell us to my mom, my dad, and me what I had until the last option was to visit this doctor that was a really good doctor on on blood, he's got an hematologist. And then when we went with him, he took a lot of tests on me. He ran a lot of tests. And then he came and said, after hours of testing me, he called my mom and dad and said, I'm sorry, I have a bad news to give you guys. Carlos, and he looked at me, my mom and my dad were sitting in front of the doctor on his office. He said, I'm sorry, but you have three months. And I was like, three months? Three months for what? He said, you have three months to leave your, your terminal. So my mom started crying, my dad started crying, I feel shocked. But in that moment, for the first time in my life, I heard a voice inside of me that said, he don't have the last word I had. I was like, what is that? Of course, I was raised in the 80s, <laughs> and you know, the parents were just more strict. And I didn't want to say anything to my mom because I know she's going to slap me on my face thinking that I'm making fun of this. You know, I didn't want to make fun of this, so I just preferred to didn't say anything and keep quiet. After my mom cried with the doctor and begging for some relief, something to do with me, the doctor gave her two options to help me. So the number one option was traveling to Houston, Texas to do a bone marrow transplant. And my mother asked, asked the doctor, like, is that good? Like, what is the probability that he's going to survive? And the doctor said, well, that's, that's one of the best things that we can do. You know, it's like 50-50 chance, and we don't know, but it's the best. And my mom said, how much is it going to cost? And the doctor said, you have insurance. In that moment, I didn't have insurance. And the doctor said, well, you're going to have to sell your car. You're going to have to sell your house, and maybe we can do the surgery. And my mom said, okay, if I sell everything, will you save my son 100%? So the doctor said, no, I can't tell you that, you know. And then the doctor looked, wait a minute, I have another option. The second option is traveling to France and get this formula that I'm working with another doctors. 
is going to help the bone marrow to start working again. We don't know. We, it's on studies right now, but at least you're doing something. So my mom said, you know what? I work at the Air Force. I can speak with one of my bosses or somebody that's going to France to get this formula. And that's what she took at the end. She uh, went to her work. She spoke with her boss. They went to France. They took the formula, brought it. I start taking the treatment. And after the first month, I go to the doctor's office. He run tests on me again. And he said to my mom and dad, I'm sorry. The formula is not working in your son. And then my mom started crying again. And the doctor said, look, hold on. Let's wait until the whole treatment ends. It's three months. So at the end of three months, we go back to the doctor. And the doctor said, no, it's, it's not working. Still not working. So my mom, we go back home. My mom feel horrible. My dad feel horrible. I feel even worse because I, I said to God, like, what I have done to deserve this, you know, I'm mean, just a good kid. And then uh, one day that my mom was working, my dad was working, I was by, my, by myself at home. I went on my knees and I asked God, like, God, if you really exist, if you're really here with me and you can hear me, let's do a, a deal right here. If you save me with this cancer, I'm going to tell the whole world that you're real because I'm going to be a living proof that you exist. And I said, in that moment, I started feeling keto over my body. And I said, this is it. And I started making visualizations. All these came to my mind. Like imagine myself in the future, buying a house, getting a good job, graduating at the university and all this. So little by little, every day I was giving thanks God, thanks God for my healing. I was feeling amazing. And after, after days after that, the doctor said, okay, we're going to do the final test is the CT scan. So we go there. He did the CT scan. And when I get out of the CT scan, the results came blank. The cancer disappeared. So my mom was super happy. It's like, oh, my God, doctor, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. And the doctor said, no, ma'am, this is not a miracle. This is called remission. Remission is when the cancer disappears and this come back more aggressive. And my mom, no, it's a miracle. And in that moment, I heard, like, the voice again inside of me, this will never happen again. I was like, okay. And that was it for me on that, on that story. But remember, I promised to God that I'm going to say this to the whole world, but I was 14 years old. Who am I going to be telling this, you know? You know what cracks me up? Uh-huh. How often do we think we're in a position that we can create some kind of a bargain with God, Right. I'm going to negotiate. If I do this, well, you do that. I mean, who do you know? Who, who do we think we are? And it doesn't always work. I don't know. I have a lot of faith in that moment, so maybe that helped me. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I guess on the Bible said, you know, like ask and you shall receive. And I believe after a lot of experience that I had, we have free will on Earth. So if you don't open your mouth and you don't ask, nothing's going to get done, given to you because it's your life and you decide what's going to happen to you. If you ask for help, as the name of my book, Help from Heaven, maybe you will receive the help. But if you don't say anything, it's like you're taking it with you, you know? So that's what it led me to my second story. You want me to tell you a second story? Yeah, let's go ahead and fast forward now to 2015. Tell us where you were and what you were doing that particular day. Okay, so in 2015, I'm going to tell you a little quick. I wake up in the morning in my house. I go to the living room. It was a sunny day, Saturday. And I, when I turned the TV on, it was the news. And they were going through some guy that entered into a school. And he started um, fighting against some kids. So I feel bad in that moment. And I said, really, God, really? Do you, why these innocent kids have to die, you know? Like, I'm done with this. So I turned off the, the TV off, and I said, I'm done. I mean, if you don't explain me right now, why is this going on? I don't want to believe in you anymore, you know, because this is not fair. And in that moment, my phone rings, my cellular phone. So I grabbed my phone. He was one of my best friends, Jorge. And he said, like, Carlos, what are you doing the next week? It's going to be Memorial Day. And I said, uh, nothing. Next week, uh, I'm no, I don't have anything planned right now. I said, okay, because my family is coming to, is going to Panama City Beach. I said, okay, let's do it. I, I go. So we travel the next week to Panama City. And on the way there, a lot of stuff's happening. Like we have a lot of traffic. 
and then we have accidents on the way, the weather was changing. For me, right now, that was red flags telling me, don't go. But I didn't listen to red flags because I, didn't, I wasn't superstitious on stuff. Right now, after all the experience, like the first red flag, I'm out. <laughs> I listen, you know. After we passed all these red flags, we, when we arrived to Panama City, we went to the first beach. It was packed. Second beach was packed. Third one was packed. And I said to my friend, you know what? Let's go to a park. It's called San Andrew State Park. And they have a, a marina there. We can go to, to an island it's called Shell Island. I don't think people want to pay to go there. You know, if they have their whole family, they're going to have to pay for their whole family. Anyways, we went to this national park. We pay $8 to get in. Then we pay $20 to get the boat to go to the island. When we arrived to the island, the bayside was full. So my friend, oh, Carlos is full too. I said, like, no, no, no. Do you know what? Let's go to the backside of the island. So we walked to the backside of the island. Where we were walking. There was a guy with five kids, and he asked me, because I was walking first, Excuse me, sir, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? So I'm going to the, the other side. So I'm like, why? And you see everybody's here because this is the Bayside, the most safe place. I say, yes, sir, but it's packed. I want to hear the ocean. I want to feel the tranquility of the day, you know. I said, well, be careful. So that was another red flag, but I didn't listen to it, right? So I went to the other side. And then my friends and me, we opened a canopy. There was nobody there. And we started opening the canopy. And the wind started blowing. The canopy opens like a parachute. And for 45 minutes, we're fighting to put this canopy down. That was another red flag. And then after 45 minutes, we found some rocks and put it in every corner. As soon as we did that, we pulled the chairs, bring some food, some drinks, some music. And we stayed up there from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Around 4 p.m., my friend said, Carlos, we're going to walk around the island because the last, last boat leave at 5.30. I said, okay, guys, you'll be here in one hour, around five, because we need to pick up all, all this and go back to get the boat back to Panama City. Get, give me an idea of how big this island is when you talk about walking around the backside. I believe it could be like 30 minutes. I think 30 minutes walking in a circle. So maybe a mile all the way around or something like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know the, the, the <laughs> how big yeah. it is, but yeah, maybe a mile. So it's a pretty small island. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you go around the backside, there's no people. Then your friends go for a walk. Yes. So you're completely alone on this beach, right? Yeah. Great time to jump in the water. <laughs> and then it started. Sorry. <laughs> a little sarcasm this morning. No, no, you're fine. It's true. Yeah. Never swim alone, children. Okay, go ahead. You're right. So that was a huge mistake of mine. And what happened was it was getting hot. Because the sun was very spicy, it was very hot. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to jump into the water. I'm going to swim a little bit. The ocean was looking good. Nothing weird was in the water. So I jumped into the water. I started swimming. And out of the sudden, this whirlpool under the water started taking me in. So if people watch the movie Finding Nemo, you can see what is an Australian current. It's like a tunnel under the water that pulled you out far, far away. I was caught in this. I didn't know if the name was Riptide. So for me, it was a whirlpool. So it grabbed me and threw me far, far away. When this stopped, I pulled my head out of the water and I was half a mile away from me like, what? How I get here, you know? I said, okay, I just need to swim back. I cannot panic right now. So let me start swimming. So I start swimming, swimming, swimming. And when I pulled my head out of the water, I was far, even farther. I was like, what? It was like I wasn't moving at all. So let's explain real quick for those that haven't spent much time in the ocean. So a rip current is a place where the current actually comes along the shore and then it funnels straight out to sea. And if you're in this rip current, they're, they're just too strong. You can't, you know, you can be a really strong swimmer, head straight for shore, and you're either staying in one place or going backwards, going further out to sea. Now there is a way around that, but, that wasn't something that you knew, and it's really easy to panic. How far would you say you were offshore? A couple hundred yards? I mean, the island was very small from where I was seeing. Yeah. So I couldn't believe I was that, that far, you know? I heard stories that people go extremely far, but it's in seconds. It happens super fast, you know? And, uh, yeah, when you see it, you just want to go back where you were, you know? So you're trying to fight. And me, I never heard in my life about riptide, so I didn't know what a riptide was or what to do. 
and I panicked. You know, I, I was trying to swing even faster, but the the whirlpool it was taking me even deeper into the ocean. And after 20, 25 minutes, I was fighting and fighting and fighting. I started getting completely debilitated, and I said, "You know what? This is it. This is perfect. It's going to be almost." 5 p.m., the last boat leave at 5.30. Nobody's watching. Everybody's gone from here. The last boat is going to leave in 30 minutes out of here until tomorrow. So, yeah, this is it. So you just resigned yourself. Uh, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done Be because I try. I can't get to shore. There's no one here to help me. I'm done. I'm done. Adios. Adios. <laughs> and in that moment, I said, well, uh, before I die, uh, I just want to say something to God. So in that moment, I said, God, I never thought in a million years that today is going to be my last day. But if you want to take me, I'm ready. Uh, before you take me, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters. Thank you for everything you gave me. And I'm sorry if I did something wrong. And in that moment behind me, I heard a voice that said, ask for help. And I was like, what? I thought it was my imagination. I looked everywhere. I didn't see anybody. I said, oh my God, this is my mind. And then trying to swim a little bit more. And then I heard again, ask for help. And I was like, are you kidding me? Could you please help me? Where are you at? Like, you see, I'm <laughs> drowning here. Nothing. Just the water and the wind. I tried to swim back again. And then I heard, I told you to ask for help. And I was like, oh my God, that I never going to make it. Don't you see the distance? It's too far. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I started screaming, help, help, help. As soon as I started getting help, help, help. One of my friends that was in the group going around the island, he felt something was wrong. His name is Enrique. So he went back to the tent. He didn't saw me there. He went to the beach. He didn't saw me on the beach. He started walking around looking for me until he saw a, a hill. He went to the top of the hill on rocks. And he saw me from the hill. He started jumping, Carlos, Carlos, here. I'm going to call 911. Hold on, hold on. But he didn't call 911. He went back to the tent. He grabbed some tubing because he was so nervous. And he went to the top and he started dropping the tubings. But like I said, I was, I don't know, half a mile away. And then the tubing was flying back to him. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. So he get down up the hill and he run to the other side of the island. And he bring people, 15, 20 people from the other side. From the hill, six guys jump and everybody was swimming my way. And when I see that, I say, oh my God, thank you, God. They're going to save me. Thank you. Well, guess what? 10 minutes pass and nobody can reach me because the ocean is taking me. And then when I seen everybody coming, like 10 minutes later, everybody starts turning around. I was like, what are they doing? They're going to leave me here. And then I heard a thunder behind me, broom. And then I looked back and it, the sky was getting dark and a big thunderstorm was coming. And I said, okay, this is it. So when everybody turned around and left me and I see this thunderstorm coming, I said, God, you know what? I'm just going to surrender. I don't want to fight anymore. You know, I mean, just do what you have to do and I'm, I'm ready, you know. And in that moment, a huge wave came and crushed me all the way into the ocean. So when I was under the water, I opened my eyes and I see a black shadow coming my way. So I thought it was a chart. So I covered my face. And when I covered my face, this thing grabbed me by my stomach and pushed me all the way up. And I was like, what? So when I get out, I handled this thing, but it was huge. Guess what it was? It was a huge gray dolphin. I started crying because I couldn't believe this animal saved my life, you know? So I grabbed the dolphin by the tail, by the fin, and just crying there, you know, like a baby. And he was just looking at me. I was looking at him and looking in his eyes. And was like, how do you know? How do you save me? Like, why do you save me? You know, like, and he was just looking at me. He didn't move nothing. He was just floating right there. Ten minutes later, a feature boat showed up in front of me, and he said, son, I can't save you, but he was like 20, 25 feet away from me. He said, I, got, I cannot get close to you because the wave from the thunderstorm, they are so big, I'm going to hit you with my boat. I'm going to throw you a rope, and then you grab it and come here. So I grab it. I start going to the boat. The dolphin is still next to me. And when I get to the boat, I get some air like, ah, and as soon as I get some air, the guy said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You need to get in now. I was like, sorry, could you please let me breathe? I'm being here for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I'm super tired. I said, no, you don't understand. My body is sinking. I said, your body is sinking. What are you talking about? I said, yeah, my, I have a pump and the pump is stopped. 
and all the water from the waves they're getting inside. So it's getting further. Need to hurry up. Go to the back and jump in. You have any questions? <laughs> all right, slow down a second. Okay. This is going. This is going too fast for me. Okay. Okay. Wave comes. You go underwater. How far? Can you take a guess how far underwater were you when the dolphin came and started pushing you up? I really don't know because I, mean, I couldn't touch the bottom of the ocean at that sure. point. I was super far away yeah. into the ocean, you know, and uh, I cannot tell you the metrics. That's okay. I was just curious if you had a feel for it. Now, a big gray dolphin comes yeah. and pushes you to the surface. Yes. Now... I, I think this is spectacular. And unfortunately, there are a few people that are going to say, oh, come on. I grew up watching Flipper. That's what happened. But that was make-believe. Did dolphins really do this? Please, please explain more. I want to believe. I do believe you. But for the skeptics, explain more. Well, for the skeptic, I cannot do anything. You know, this is my story. And I just tell you what happened to me. I'm not the only person that's been saved by dolphins around the world. If you Google how many people have been saved by dolphins, hundreds of people have been saved by dolphins through history. Why they do that? I don't have the answer for that. I never spoke with a dolphin. But uh, they have certain likeness for humans, you know, and they do this in another, in Australia, in London. I mean, so many places. In Cuba, there's so many stories of dolphins saving people that I'd never heard this before. I, I, what it was happening to me, I don't know. You know, it's it's so cool and it's amazing. So the dolphin pushes you to the surface, yeah, and then you you're hanging on to it like a flotation kind of thing until the boat comes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really cool. How big would you say this dolphin was? It was huge. It was really big. I don't know <laughs> the metrics of the dolphin, but it was big. It was really big. All right. So now it's time to get in your rescue boat, and the boat is sinking. <laughs> Sorry, this is not funny, but it's a comedy of errors kind of a thing, too. Okay. I know. So I jump into the boat, and the guy said, come on, sit down right here. So I see the water everywhere on the boat, and I said, sir, do you have any bucket? I help you to get the water off the boat. The water was like this inside of the boat. So I get scared, you know. I said, like, we don't have time for that. We need to get out of here. Come on, sit down next to me. So I sit down next to him. He put a towel over me, and he started driving around the island. So then he asked me, like, are you okay? What happened to you? So I said, sir, I just went to swim a little bit, and this current came under the water and brought me all the way here, and I couldn't get out. I said, but you're fine? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I said, okay, where is your family and friends? Everybody's there. Uh, on on the island, and nobody saw you. So like, well, they were trying to rescue me, but nobody could, you know. And then he asked me, "Let me ask you a question. Where are you from?" I said, "I'm from Atlanta, Georgia." And he said, "I'm from Atlanta, Georgia too." I said, "What part of Atlanta, Georgia?" I said, "I'm from Duluth." And he said, "I'm from North Cross. Duluth and North Cross is in front of each other, so we're like neighbors." I was like, "What? We're like we live in the same area?" Uh, and that was odd, you know. And then he started, "Oh my God!" As soon as I said that. He said, oh, my God, look behind you, look behind I said, like, what are you talking about? And when I looked behind me, the dolphin was jumping and following the boat all the way around the island. And when we get to the base side of the island, the guy said, okay, brother, uh, God bless you. And I said, sir, thank you for saving my life. I gave her a hug. I said, okay, I need to fix my boat, so I need to get out of here very quick. But uh, you can walk from here because the, the levels of the water is a little low. So you can walk all the way to the shore. So, okay. So he left me there. He leave. I start walking to the shore and then something hit my leg. And when I look back, the dolphin was with me. And the dolphin go from there all the way to the shore. And I start crying again because I, I couldn't believe that it was happening to me, you know? And when I get to the shore, I was completely broken to myself. I was like, okay, God, this is it for me. If you save my life with this dolphin right here, it's because you have a purpose for my life. I don't know what you want from me. But I'm going to tell you something. From today, Carlos died into the ocean. The person who's coming out of the water is going to be you. I want you to go through me and do anything you want through me, you know? But it's your life. I give you my life. I give you my soul. It's your love. And in that moment, it started raining, lightning, and the dolphin leaving that moment. After that happened, people coming from the other side of the island, 
Everybody started hugging me. Everybody started crying. The people, the management, the guys from the boat take me back to San Andreas State Park. When we get to the state park, they take me to the administration office. Everybody asked me, like, what happened? I said, what happened is, like, there was no lifesavers there. There was no, like, a red flag. I, did you know that I didn't know what a riptide was? There were no signs that what a riptide was. So I didn't know what it was. So if you can do that, put it on that island, that, that's going to help more people, you know? And then, well, they apologize and all that. And then my friends and the people that came from the beach, I said, what do you should do now? It's like, let's go to a church. I said, because this was a miracle. So I just want to say thank you to God for what he did. So we drove out of the San Andreas State Park. People come behind in other cars. And we see this Catholic church. And we stopped there. Everybody came out of the cars. We're trying to get inside of the church. The church was closed. But outside was a garden with a, like a little chapel. And uh, the chapel was like a cave. Inside of the cave was Virgin Mary, Virgin Fatima, with the three kids right there. And everybody said, okay, let's do a circle and let, let's hug each other and let's pray. So we prayed for like 10, 20 minutes. And after that, my friend said, okay, Carlos, what do you want to do now? I said, I just want to go back to the hotel, get something to eat and go to sleep. I said, okay. So he took me back to the hotel. I ate something, took a shower. And as soon as I went to bed, I put my head on my pillow. And that's when I have an epiphany. So for our listeners uh-huh. who know what near-death experiences are, because we talk about them on here all the time, we haven't had one yet in this story. Okay? So take a breath, everybody, because this story isn't over. This is just getting better. Just a quick break here to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Smart Labels. With the new year, I'm sure many of you are like me, with a resolution to get more organized. That's where Smart Labels comes in. With Smart Labels, you buy their QR code labels on Amazon, put a label on a storage bin, and then scan it with their app. Catalog everything that's going into the bin and let your future self know where everything is. When you need something next year, search for it in the app and it'll tell you exactly where it is. Seriously, people describe this as organizing magic. Click over to Amazon right now and get your smart labels. Now, back to the interview. Yeah, there's several uh, kinds of near-death experience. It's called near-death because you don't die. You're close to die. And remember, that's what happened to me. If that boat doesn't show up, if the dolphin doesn't show up, is a near-death. A near-death is a transformative uh, event that changed the course of the person that is involved on this near-death experience. So most of the near-deaths happen on hospitals when people get um, the anesthesia, and the anesthesia go over and the people have out-of-body experience. But mine was completely different. Mine was a spiritual, transformative, near-death experience. And there's more, and that's what I'm getting at here. Yes. (laughs) Is in some ways the best is yet to come. Okay, so you're back at the hotel after all this. Time to go to sleep. Yes. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I go to my bed. I try to get sleep. As soon as I put my head on the pillow, I have an epiphany. So epiphany is like a vision. I never had one, so I thought it was a dream. And in this epiphany, I open my eyes, and on the third floor of a cruise in the Caribbean. So I can see the blue ocean, blue skies. It's a sunny day. It's beautiful. But at the end of the ocean, I see a tsunami rising coming my way. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. So I cover my face, just waiting for the heat of this tsunami. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Well, then 15, 20 minutes passed, nothing happened until somebody come behind me and touch me. I said, Carlos, look at me, look at me. I was like, no, 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 we're about to die. And he said, you're never going to die with me. And I said, like, who are you? I said, look at me. So I put my hands down. I look back. And I see this guy taller than me, like 6'5", with a white robe with light coming from his face. And he said, please close your eyes. So in that moment, the way that I saw him, I said, like, this is Jesus. But I didn't say anything to him. I was thinking this. So he grabbed me from behind, and he hugged me. And 10 seconds later, he said, open your eyes, please. And I opened my eyes, and he opened his own, and I said, like, welcome. I said, welcome to the world. Look in front of you. So when I looked in front of me, I was in heaven. I was like, oh, my God. 
That means that I die. It's like, no, Jesus, you need to take me back. I need to do a lot of stuff. You cannot take me right now. It's like, you didn't die right now. You're in the middle right now. And you make a promise to me and you need to fulfill your promise. Welcome to heaven. From today, you're part of me and part of all of them. And when he said all of them, millions of people show up in front of me. Like it was like a huge garden, like a golf course, all green. And these millions of people show up in white robes. So he said, from today, just start walking with me and walking with them. I said, okay, do you have any questions? I said, yes, I have a question. So what is your question? So like, where all these people come from? I said, they're coming from all over the world. I said, okay, do you have another question? I said, yes. What is the true religion? There is so many religions in this world that I always try to find where is the real one. And he said, the only thing that I can tell you is when you come to heaven, there is no religions in heaven. What you're going to find in heaven is the love of God. The love of God is the most powerful force in the universe. And that's what it's going to unite the whole humanity in one. And then in that moment, he put his arms over me. I said, okay, I'm going to give you a life review. And he opened his arms and he showed me a lot of the screens. And in those screens, I can see my life flashing in front of me. And what I was watching is every decision I took, Everything that I say to people that hurt people, I was putting in the other side. So I was putting in the other person's field. So I could feel all the pain that I caused to people and I could feel whatever I did to other people, you know? So I, he wasn't judging me. I was judging myself like, oh my God, I never thought this could hurt so many people, you know? And after that, and we all do, you know, as humans. And after that, he said, okay, Carlos, it's time for you to go back. But before you go back, I want you to give this message to everyone there on earth. Say, so like, what is it? Say, so like, well, I want you to tell people that more than 98% of people around the world have childhood trauma and they need to forgive. I said, forgive who? I said, they need to forgive their parents. Number one, they need to forgive three people. But the first is their parents. Why their parents? Because... It doesn't matter if they abandoned you, if they hit you, if they didn't like you, if they abused you, whatever they did, they did the best for you. You know, they didn't have a manual to raise you. Number two, you need to forgive your inner child. Why your inner child? Because whatever happened when you was a child, it's not your fault. Nobody was there. You was scared and nobody came to rescue you, you know? And number three, you need to forgive all the people that came to your life to harm you. Why? When you forgive your parents, your inner child, and the people that came to your life and harm you, you're not forgiving them. You're forgiving yourself. In that moment, when you forgive, you open your heart, and you throw away all the hate, all the resentment, and all the poisons that later will become cancer and other sicknesses. And from that moment, it's like you have a balloon with a stream, and you cut the balloon, the stream, and you let the balloon go, you're free. And in that moment is when... Jesus told me, just start living your purpose because everybody came to earth with a purpose. And what is your purpose? It's really simple. It's the only thing that you know you do better, better than anybody else. Everybody on earth have a gift. Some people cook amazing, some people dance amazing, some people that are good with gardening. Everybody have a gift. But he said, if you don't want to do that gift, the second gift is called service. Why service? Because when you die, you're not taking your money you're not taking your titles, you're not taking your house, your car, your Bitcoin. The only thing that you're going to take with you is how many people you help on earth, how many people you took care of, how many people you give shelter and food, and what was the blueprint that you left on earth to other, for others to follow you. Look, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Princess, Princess Diana, Matthew Luther King, they did service, and their service continued until today. Now I ask you, and I ask all the listeners, people that is listening to the program, what are you doing today to leave a legacy of love, to leave a, leg, uh, leave a blueprint on this earth? So when you, it's time for you to go to heaven, you know that you left a beautiful gift for others to follow. So that's my story. And if you have any questions, let me know. <laughs> I have lots of questions. Okay. First of all, uh, when you were asleep did and you had this experience with Jesus, did you feel like this was a regular dream or something more than that? It was more than that. I have more 
the day after this was Sunday, after the experience on Monday, I come back to work. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about this, this experience until the next day that I come back to, to work. When I went back to work on Monday, my boss sent me to a customer house. When I go to this customer house, I used to work as a service manager, as a quality assurance manager. So I work, uh, I go to this house and the customer was in the kitchen. I said, like, Carlos, what's, one of your employees broke a lamp on my house. It's on the basement. I'm really busy right now. Could you go to the basement, go to the last room and turn the lights and you will see a gold lamp on the corner. If you can buy me a new one or fix that, that's fine. So I go to the basement, I get to the last room, I turn the lights, and when I see the lamp next to the lamp was a huge painting on the wall. And on this painting, it was exactly the same image that I saw in heaven with Jesus. It was millions of people in the background, Jesus in the middle, in heaven, and at the bottom of Jesus was dolphins. So he was like touching the water in the ocean. And I was speechless. So I started crying there because it was very overwhelming for me. And in that moment, I knew this wasn't a dream. This was something else. And then a customer came down. I said, Carlos, are you okay? What happened? It's like, how in the world do you have this painting right here? I was two days there, like two days ago there. I said, what are you talking about? So I told the story. And then she said, well, three years ago, a friend of my family came here and did this painting. And it is so big that the only place that we have is in the basement. And that's what is here. So she turned the lights and let me admire everything. So wow. everything that happened after this, I'm very skeptic, okay? So I have signs and signs and signs. And I was asking, I, I, if this was real, I want to see more, you know? So I'm not making this up. Yeah, it, it reaffirmed what happened to you and what you had seen. Mm -hmm. You don't have a picture of that painting, do you? No. Oh, darn. I'd love to post that for people. If you ever see it, let me know. Oh, yeah. And we'll post that sometime. Okay. I don't want to dwell on being too specific here, mm -hmm. but you felt like this was much more than a dream. Did you feel like it was an out-of-body experience or or a really a spiritually transformative experience? It was a spiritual transformative. Okay. For me, yeah. Yeah, and that's amazing. Uh, is there any more detail that you didn't fill in? what Jesus looked like, anything like that? Well, Jesus was, his face was light coming from his face. Another thing that I didn't told you the first time when I told this story to one of my best friends, he said, Carlos, you need to go to a church and tell this story to people. And I said, are you kidding me? I will never tell this story to anyone because who's going to believe that a dolphin saying, you know, there's going to be people like you're telling me, like, it's hard for you to believe, right? I believe you. That's why you're asking questions, okay? <laughs> so I didn't want to confront people like you or people like uh, Christian fanatics or haters. You know, there is a lot of haters out there. And that's why I have enough with my life to tell people what to do with their life, you know? And that's why I didn't want to get on this. But my friends like Carlos, you know, is wars around the world right now. There is people dying with cancer. There is a lot of bad right there. And people need to hear these stories. I said, yeah, I know people need to hear these stories, but then they're going to be smart people that is going to take this for real. And I just trying to do a service for people, you know? I said, like, come on. And he begged me for like an hour. I said, okay, I go to your house. He lived an hour away from my house. I said, okay, I go to your house on Sunday. And from there, we go to church. So on that Sunday, I travel to his house. I get breakfast with him and his wife. And then I said, okay, what church do you want to go? I said, like, no, whatever. It's like, look, Jesus told me that it doesn't matter. It's, everything is love. So whatever church come in. I said, okay, let's Google the first church close to the house. So the first church that he found was called San Michael the Arcangel. So we went to that church. And when we arrived to the parking lot, there was hundreds of cars right there. Everybody was celebrating something. And I, was, I asked the lady next to my car, I said, excuse me, what's going on today? And she said, like, well... Today is the inauguration of this big cathedral. We used to have a little church, but they're built, building, they, they've been building this for years. And today's the inauguration. So you guys get on time to see the whole thing. I said, okay. So after we see the inauguration, my friend's like, Carlos, what do you speak with the priest? So you can tell him that you want to tell your story. I said, okay, let me talk to him. So I told him, hey, I have a, a testimony. I don't know if, if you can put me there so I can tell the people. Say, sure. At the end of the service, you can go and tell them. I said, okay. So at the end of the service, I went to the stage and I grabbed the microphone for the first time. I was super nervous to tell the story. And I started telling my story. And halfway of the story, a girl 
raised her hands up and says, excuse me, excuse me, I, I'm sorry, I want to interrupt your story. I said, like, okay. It's like, yeah, well, what are you going to ask me? It's like, I just want to ask you how Jesus was with you. And I said, he was behind me. Uh, how Jesus was dressing? He was dressing with a white rope. Okay, what he was doing? I said, he was hugging me from behind. Why? I just said, watch this. I said, what are you going to do? So she grabbed the hair, put the hair in front of her. She had black long hair. She was a skinny girl. And she turned around. And in the back of the church, she had a painting. And this is the painting that she had in the back. It's called Forgiveness by Thomas Blackshear. And she said, it was like this. I said, yep, it was exactly like that. And everybody looked at her and looked at me. Oh, my God, you guys planned this. And I was like, there we go. That's what I was trying to avoid, you know? Yeah. I don't live in this area. I live an hour away from here. I never come to this church. I don't know that girl. So anyways, when the service ends, I go back to my house and I Google this image. And it comes with a story. And guess what is the story? In the year 1992, this is a fact. This is not fiction. In the year 1992, a famous painter, painter called Thomas Blackchair, he started doing fasting for two weeks, and he started asking God, let me paint the image of Jesus for people that is suffering of cancer, or they're losing a member of their family, or they're going to financial down or something really bad, and they know that Jesus is behind them, hugging them, you know, they're, they're never alone. So he started doing the fasting, after the fasting, he started doing the painting. When he was half aware of the painting, he said the Holy Spirit showed up and said, Thomas, it's a beautiful painting, but you need to write a book and tell people the story behind this painting. You need to tell people about uh, what is the meaning of the painting. So he said, what do you want me to explain? So the Holy Spirit said, you see the black in the background? That's the darkness that we all humans have. That's the haters. That's the non-believers and all that, you know? The front of the, this is the illumination that humans have. This is the love for Jesus. And describe everything on the picture. So he wrote a book, and his book is named right here. It's called Forgiveness by Thomas Lecture. And in the book, he explained every part of the painting, showing to people. And at the end, he explained why humans, we need to forgive the people. So little by little, I start receiving all this Red points, you know, like, oh my God, this is making real, you know? And after that, I have a lot of experiences before I finally say, okay, this is not a woo-woo. This is not my imagination. This is happening, you know? Yeah. I'm writing my third book right now <laughs> because all the experiences that I have, you know, uh, because this was the beginning. And I guess this is happening to me. I'm not the only person in the world that this experience happened. There is a lot of people out there that he have experiences a in mind, you know? Yeah. So your book is called Help from Heaven. Yes. You mentioned you're working on a third. What's the second one? Well, I'm, I'm working in two books right now. Oh, okay. Help from Heaven is the one that's already published. People can find it at helpfromheaven.org. Yeah. I have it in a Spanish edition and English. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spanish and English. I have an audiobook, too. If they want audiobook, I have Candle in English and Spanish, too, so... They're both. Okay. both. couple other quick questions. Tell me about the life review. I think it's interesting. The way you explained it is, is very, very common that you were put in the shoes of the person that you may have offended in some way, and you felt what they were feeling. What other emotions did that carry with it? Was, was there guilt? Was there, tell me more about it. Well, it was really quick. It wasn't guilt. What I felt was compassion. It was love. It was like, oh, my God, I never thought that my actions will hurt somebody that way, you know? Like I said to you before, we all humans do that, you know? Even with our parents or with friends, we go through that. So that was like awakening for me when I come back to my being again, you know? I start treating people better. And if you ask any person that go to near-death experiences, you can ask in your interviews, like, people come with, like, more love. Like me, when I come back, I said, you know what? I don't want to waste more time. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to watch movies. I need to help. So I, the first thing that I did, I started talking with my friends. Hey, do you know any organization to help some help? To help some pe people? And yeah, yeah, it's called, in Atlanta, Food for Life. It's one of the biggest organizations all over the world to help uh, homeless. So I started doing that. 
and I start doing uh, Toys for Tots. I started going to Mother Teresa uh, House here in Atlanta to help uh, the nuns uh, with nonprofit organizations and stuff. And just try to be the best version of myself, the best human being that I can be, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So you were sent back with a message, a purpose, a mission, if you will. That's a lot to live up to. Has that been difficult? It was, okay. I was running away from this for five years, okay? I didn't want to do this at all. But I received so many messages, so many stuff. I have a painting that I can show you. I don't know, three or four years into this, I didn't want to do the book. I didn't want to do it. It's like, know me, grab somebody else. I don't want to do this, you know? I, went, I was invited to a party, a, a birthday party. And in the birthday party, the guy who was his birthday, he said, like, Carlos, I want you to give me my gift. It's going to be your story. Uh, I said, like, no, bro, this is a birthday party. I don't want to tell my story here. He said, like, come on, tell it. So he made a circle with everybody to tell my story. When I finish, there is a guy with his wife that are crying in a corner. And I go there, I say, I'm sorry, I didn't want to make you cry. You know, this is just my story. And the guy said, you know who I am? I said, no, I don't know who they are, who you are. I said, well, I'm a, one of the directors of a spiritual retreat, and I want you to come with me. It's called MIUs, like in the Bible, there is a passage, it's called MIUs, Walking with Jesus. I said, sir, thank you so much, but I don't have time for this, you know. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I need you to come with me because... These retreats is for 50 men. There are guys that are trying to commit suicide. There are guys that are dying with cancer. There is people that don't believe. There are haters. And I want all these people to hear your story. I said, like, okay, made the story short. I finally go to the retreat for three days. It's here in Georgia, like two hours away in the mountains that nobody knows. <laughs> I just want to let you know what happened to me. The last day, the, the day before it ends, the priest come to me and he handed me a Bible. And he said, put your hands on the top of the Bible and ask God a question that you want to ask. Anything that you want, ask him. And he's going to respond. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> I still escaped <laughs> it, right? And I grabbed my hands and I put it on the Bible. And this question was done to every of the 50 men that we went there. You know? The guy who was before me, he asked God, I've been trying to have a baby with my wife for over 10 years. We did all the treatments and we couldn't have the baby. That would be amazing if you give us a baby, but I, I don't understand why. I just want to know why we cannot have a baby. After that guy was my turn and I asked God, if you really want me to write a book about this because I have dreamers and I have a lot of signals about the book, I need something that I can see that is a book, okay? I, 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 need, I need proof that this is not my imagination, you know? So the priest said, okay, tomorrow you're going to have your answer. And I was like, mm hmm So the next morning, we get breakfast, the 50 men, and then we are taken to a big ballroom. On the ballroom, there are 50 chairs, and the priest said, please get in inside of the ballroom and grab any chairs you want. So people sit down anywhere, right? On the top of the chair, there is a manila envelope. So on the top of the manila envelope, you're going to put the manila envelope on your leg. So everybody put the manila envelope. Now, the priest said, I want you to grab the manila envelope and start passing it everywhere, everywhere around you, left, right, back and forth. So he started counting, one, two, three, so everybody started passing this stuff. Until he said, stop. Now, I want to let you know, the priest said, that that envelope is not the same envelope that you took when you sit down in that chair. I didn't assign you that chair. You took that chair. So it's not the chair, it's not the envelope. Now, the answer that is inside of that paperwork, that, that envelope, is the answer that the, the question that you asked yesterday. So now everybody open the envelope and watch the message that is inside of the envelope. So when I opened the envelope, it was a painting from some kids from elementary school. And on the painting, it's right here. You see? Jesus coming out of the, with a book. Yeah, and, and I'll have you send that to me too so that our listeners can take a look at that. So you can see uh, people from all over the world grabbing the book. God, I mean, Jesus coming out of the book and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and hearts floating all over. Yeah, so it's living, it's living hearts all over the world. So in that moment, I said, okay, this is not my imagination. I asked for a book, the book show up, 
this is real. So, you know, seeing that like that, I started getting a lot until it was so strong that I have to write a book. I said, God, I don't know how to write a book. If you put somebody in front of me that know how to write a book, I'll do it. Guess what? Two weeks later, I was invited to a meeting. And in the meeting, a guy is like, hey, who wants to write a book here? I was like, what? <laughs> and the guy who invited me, that, this guy right here. I was like, no, no, no. I said, come on, Carlos. And then that's how my book came out with, with this uh, a publisher. And I couldn't believe it, but I did it, you know? It was hard for me to believe, but little by little, everything was coming yep. to a conclusion that I, I did it after five years running away from it. Like I said up front, feel good story of the week. <laughs> Love it, Carlos. Before we wrap up here, hey, I really appreciated your message about forgiveness too. What's one last thing that you'd like to share with everybody? Look, one thing that I want to share with somebody is a lesson that I learned years ago. I, I did a trip from Atlanta to Los Angeles, California, uh, with a friend that I was the, she was moving from here, from Atlanta. And uh, she's a psychologist. So she told me, like, when we were in the middle of the desert in New Mexico, she said, okay, let's practice this. You're going to grab your phone, and you're going to call a friend that you have, like, five to ten years without talking to this friend. And this friend changed your life. But he don't know or she don't know what she did to you. She give you an advice and she give you something. And everything changed, but you never took the chance to say that to him. Or call somebody that changed your life, but you never say anything. And in that moment, I called one of my best friends that I have years without talking to him. He moved to another country. And I told him everything that he did for me and everything that changed, how he changed my life. And he didn't know. And we both start crying on the phone, you know. This is the time that you can call your mom if you don't talk to her, your dad if you don't talk to her, if you fight. I said, you know what? I'm sorry. Life is too short. Let's start talking again, you know. Your brother that you don't talk anymore, your members of your family, any friend, you know. Stop getting the hate inside of you and open your heart and give a chance to that people again, you know. Give one more chance and you're going to feel love in your heart so when that moment comes that you have to go to heaven you will see how that feels you're going to feel it right now on earth if you do that call to somebody you love great message thank you very much carlos vivas thank you so much eric for inviting me to your program and thank you for everybody for hearing my story god bless you Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button and sign up for our newsletter at roundtripdeath.com. If you want to share your near-death experience, or if you have questions or comments about the show, send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music